Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, Eric Lopez with you on, well, what has been, what a week of UCF basketball news and the tournament and everything that we've seen in the last, um, in, in the last five, six days has been, uh, has really been something. Um, we're at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for UCF sports. Uh, follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. Fellas, I'll tell you what a, well, let me ask you this. Uh, when we, when we start out, that's, Man, was that? Are you are you like basking in the sadness from Sunday? Like, I, it's it's almost like masochistic the way it's kind of been, right? It's kind of weird. I'm 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 not sad. I'm really. I mean, I'm more. You're never I'm more, sad. I, <laughs> I, it is the curse of like I've like try, I've like being a trained as a sports journalist is like you sort of like they 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 pound into you how to like shelve down all of your team favoritism so because it, it's sort of like it sort of dulls my emotions to all these things um but i will say my my lead emotion to sunday wasn't like sad it was i was certainly like just you know, like oh we almost had him but my lead emotion i will write about this uh is just how amazing that 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 game was i have rewatched that game three times already and uh i watched it uh, when i got back home monday night and then I watched it uh, Tuesday, and then I watched it again this morning, Wednesday morning. It's a fantastic game from front to back, and that more than anything, uh, certainly everybody will remember the ending. But I think the full forty minutes uh, should just be uh, lauded as a, a just a great sports event. So you are a masochist going back and watching that whole game. <laughs> what about you, Lopez? I've only watched it about twenty times. This week, yeah. and I've oh, only you're watched... you you're really breaking out the whips and chains. Oh my god! And, and I've only watched the last play of the game a hundred times, and I have two questions still, which is how did the ball not go in, and what would Jim Nance have said had you that ball gotten in? That's oh. that's a question I may never get an answer to, and I'm there, and I'm that's going to frustrate me for the rest of my life. I'll Dawkins, leave that speculation. Dawkins Dawkins defeats Duke. It makes I... too much sense. I, well, I thought I had a uh, what was the thing that I said the other night when we talked on the phone? Uh, Aubrey Johnny's on the, on the spot. spot. Aubrey on the spot. Yeah. Aubrey on the spot. Right. All right. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Kind of analyze UCF in the postseason and uh, kind of what happens from now. And uh, a little bit later on the show, we have a, a guest on the show um, this week, Ken Jackson from uh, Community Sports Report Orlando, uh, and also from. Uh, the uh, editor of the uh, sports section for the Osceola News Gazette, he and uh, and CSR Orlando were the ones who initially broke that there was interest between Johnny Dawkins and Vanderbilt post UCF's or the end of UCF's postseason run, and we thought that this um, information was so important that we are actually going to um, lead with it. So just bear with us as we warp space and time. Um, the latest news is Dawkins is a front runner, and this is as of Wednesday night at 9:41 p.m. Eastern Time. It's all speculative, by the way. No actual uh, facts. The, the latest, the, the latest sort of speculation. Thank you, Eric Lopez. Is that Dawkins is indeed a front runner for the vacant Vanderbilt head coaching job, which was uh, which was Bryce Drew. Yes, that Bryce Drew uh, uh, before he got fired after three. Uh, 
after three seasons. The latest I saw was as of this morning, um, Jeff Goodman of uh, Stadium uh, had said that it basically upgraded Dawkins to a front runner for the job. Doesn't mean now, um, Ken and uh, and his colleagues had had tweeted on Monday, excuse me, Tuesday. I beg your pardon, Tuesday at about three p.m. That they were here, quote, we are hearing reports from Nashville that Johnny Dawkins becoming the next head coach at Vanderbilt is, quote, close to a done deal, end quote, more coming soon. John Alba of uh, of sports, uh, of Spectrum Sports 360, a few moments later said that, according to multiple sources, UCF coach Johnny Dawkins has emerged as a target for the Vanderbilt job. Uh, Dawkins told uh, LH Sports uh, TV, which is Luke Hetrick, who's one of his uh, co-workers over at uh, Spectrum Sports uh, that uh, he uh, or, or that that he had that Dawkins had said he had not Dawkins said that he had not been contacted by anyone as of yet and was happy at UCF. Certainly interesting circumstances, including Aubrey Dawkins, Aubrey Dawkins having a year left. We'll go more into that now uh, in, in a little bit. But um, I wanted to get to this interview because it's the latest news insofar as we can call it news. We don't know. Um uh, about uh, Johnny Dawkins and whether or not he might be leaving UCF after three years. And um, and, and in the interest of full disclosure, um, Ken actually contacted me um, this morning and, and asked if he could come on the show. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? So the three of us interviewed Ken uh, a little bit earlier tonight, and we're going to go right to that interview right now. So here's Ken Jackson of Community Sports Report Orlando and the Osceola News Gazette. And joining us now, Ken Jackson. He works for uh, Community Sports Report Orlando, CSR uh, Orlando. You can find him in twi- on Twitter at Foulballs, P-H-O-U-L-B-A-L-L-S. Uh, he's a UCF graduate, class of 1998, and he's also the editor uh, of the uh, sports section for the Osceola News Gazette. Did I get that all right, Ken? Did I get that? All- I'm hoping I did, right? <laughs> three for three, man. Well done. There you go. There you go. And uh, and Ken is the one who via CSR Orlando and on uh, 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 which is, by the way, they have the radio show on WPRK 91.5 FM uh, every Thursday from four to five. Um, now you're four for four. Yeah, there you go. I'll take it. Uh, is the one who uh, broke the news. Well, insofar as insofar as there was news to be broken of uh, Vanderbilt's interest in Johnny Dawkins. And so um, Ken's joining us now. We're going to try and flesh some of this out. All right, Ken. So insofar now, obviously, you know, (laughs) we know the rules. You're never going to reveal your sources and that's fine. But insofar as you can tell us, how did you guys find out about the interest in Johnny Dawkins from Nashville? Okay, we'll take it from the top. First of all, uh, this was more of a collaborative effort. Uh, One of my co-hosts, I have to give him uh, credit, Juan Bernal. Uh, He he, he's worked in the industry. Uh, he is. Uh, he helps uh, place college athletes, bas- you know, basketball athletes. I've said, "Oh, so you're so you're in recruiting?" And he behemoth says, "No, often." But um, he knows. Uh, he's he's got a network of connections a- across the country. I mean, he fairly knows everybody. I mean, every once in a while, I ask my wife to make sure that she doesn't know this guy. Um, <laughs> but he said that uh, it's. It's come from a uh, what the way he explained to me. It sounds like it's uh, it's a, a one of the boosters uh, from Vanderbilt or up up in Nashville. This is the same source that let him know 
uh, a couple days before everybody else find, found out that Vanderbilt uh, was firing Bryce Drew. I know they've, they've got an AD who's been in place only since February 1st. It's uh, Malcolm Turner. But uh, I, from what I understand, he, he, he runs the G League. Uh, he's a basketball guy. I mean, Vanderbilt went 0-18 in the SEC this year. I know their uh, highly recruited point guard went down in like the fifth game of the season with a knee injury. So uh, you know, they, they, they had a rough go of it. But uh, we, we, it came up in the, – the, the Bryce Drew didn't, uh, firing didn't really come up because you know, there's no local hook. But this is one of the things that through his network of sources he found out. And uh, so, there, you know, we, it came up in, in discussion between him and I and our other co-host, uh, Austin David. But it wasn't a whole lot of buzz because it's, 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 it's not a local buzz. Um, when this came up, we all agreed that, okay, let's, let's pull what we know out there um, with the caveat that, look, we're, we're not – the idea behind this was not to, to, to put this out there and then if this does happen, say, oh, well, look how smart we are. Uh, my rationale was let's let's forewarn a fan base that's already sort of mentally fragile after what happened on Sunday. That look, prepare yourself. This may happen. Let's kind of soften the blow for these fans. Um, and so that's and, and that's where we're at now. Now, uh, what what kind of ruffled our feathers a little bit is, is that we put it out there yesterday. Afternoon, I don't know. I think it was about two o'clock. I don't know. I don't, I don't have the I time. Was, I think it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yes, it was a long day for me yesterday. If it was daylight, I couldn't tell you what time it was. <laughs> um, but it's just, we put that out there. Seven, I don't know, seven minutes later, uh, John Alba, who I believe is with Spectrum. True. Same information. And that, that kind of raised our eyebrows a little bit. Um, I, I mean, obviously, there's a chance that we're dealing with the uh, with the same set of sources, but mm. you know, take it take it for what it's worth. But that's where we're at. Uh, where we're at now was wondering how things were going to kind of percolate today. Hasn't been a whole lot of, of talk today, or in the 24 hours, or 20 global 29 hours or so since since uh, we we put that out there. Right. And, and, you know, we mentioned in summarizing it that, you know, John was a little bit, I, I, I termed it as less forceful than you guys in saying that Dawkins has emerged as a target for Vanderbilt. Of course, he told Alba on um, Monday uh, in an interview that no one's co- contacted anybody. But I just want to clarify a couple things for the fans out there that, like, we see the four of us, right? We see this game being played all the time in basketball offseason, you know. Coach, you know, has a good season. Team gets eliminated in the NCAA tournament. Coach, be, uh, coach's name pops up in speculation for other jobs. And quite often, you know, that it, it, it's a situation where that coach may indeed leave for another job. But what also happens is that um, it, it's, a, it's a leverage play, right? That agents may be, you know, angling to try and get an extension or a raise or both for their client from the school that they're at. And, you know, based on what we've seen and and how the story has played out from both you guys and from other sources that are out there, um, that seems to be at least a possibility with Johnny Dawkins. I know that um, Jeff Goodman over at Stadium this morning kind of upgraded the situation to how he has, quote, emerged as a front runner End quote, but then he kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge about, you know, that kind of a situation. Let me ask you, 
what is your based on what you guys know right now and i think that actually the fact that it's been quiet might be a little bit of an indicator of this but what is your gut feeling right now do you feel that that dawkins is is really interested in the vanderbilt job because it seems like they're the stanford of the sec and he's been down that road before or could this be more of a leverage play to try and get uh, a, a salary maybe on the level of Greg Marshall at Wichita State, who makes about three and a half million a year, also in the American. Well, it's clear that if the interest between Johnny Dawkins and Vanderbilt is genuine, well, then the ball is now in Danny White's court. Uh, what the, the the thing you bring up is is uh, is definitely valid. What people have to understand about jobs like this is that you know coaches don't apply for these jobs when they when they come open it's not like the schools you know they they post a job opening and say we are looking for one head basketball coach and right. people apply for the job what ends up happening is that as a co- you are told that you are a candidate and the, the way to explain it, and it's we just went through this with scott frost what it uh going on two years ago is yeah. that uh, don't remind you us to, yeah you, well <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, and in, in, in fact, uh, Juan was someone that talked in, in September or October of that football season when Bill Moose took over as, a, as the athletic director. Watch out because this could happen. And that's, you just laid, it, you know, laid that out. But what I was saying, back to basketball here, is that, um, is that yeah, you are, you are told that you are a candidate and that you have to answer that phone call because if you don't answer that phone, that phone will never ring again. So, uh, you know, so, so uh, I'm, I'm sure that if, like I said, he, he was, I'm sure that he was approached. Now, uh, like you said, like I said, the, the ball is in Danny White's court as, as far as if, if, there's an, if there's an offer on the table. You know, Vanderbilt's got all that SEC money, and I'm sure someone's burning a hole in their pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll See what happened there. I had uh, what was I going to say? It was a, uh, I had a good thought in my head, and it just went out of it. But um, tell you what, go to your next question. Maybe it'll yeah, it'll, it'll no do problem. It. It's go a ahead. podcast. We can get we can get it yeah. later. Um, out, let me go to uh, let, let me go to uh, Murph and Eric. Go ahead, guys. Whichever one of you wants to go. Do you believe? How much of you wonder? Because I mean, this happens a lot. You hear it from sources and things like that. But that person would it be the Vandy booster in this case. How do we know this is not more of a driven as a ploy from maybe the agent of Johnny Dawkins to just get the name out there to get himself some leverage? I mean, that's the kind of the dangerous oh, game here, right? I mean, that's that would be the concern. No, I, and it, absolutely. Like I said, this is this is the same source that let us know that, or let let it be known that um, uh, that Bryce Drew was going to be fired um, from this same sort of uh, um, source tree. Um, we've gotten other kinds of information that that's, that's come true, that, uh, that, uh, Troy was going to let Scott Cross go, uh, that, um, that Ar- Arkansas was going to fire Mike Anderson, uh, those sort of things. Um, you know, we've, we've known about, uh, or at least Juan did about, um, the Donnie Jones hire up at, up at Stetson. Right. So, um, so the, it's, it's sort of a, uh, source tree. That we feel pretty confident in. In fact, we were uh, batting it around yesterday, just making sure we had our ducks in a row. And uh, you know, the other other names have come out as 
uh, as candidates, and we feel pretty strongly that, uh, uh, in, in fact, I, I, I told Juan, I said, buy or sell, that uh, there's about an, and this is how I feel, that, that there's a 95% chance that this Vanderbilt's next hire is either going to be Dawkins or John Thompson III, and he said, buy that. I think what... So, uh, what what kind of uh, rings the alarm on the on the report you guys put out is the is the term close to a done deal. Have you heard at all from any other source? I'm sure I'm sure you got that from the one source. Have you have you uh, sort of uh, uh, verified that with any other source that you might have on this report, like the, the close to a done deal well, aspect of this uh, whole thing? Well, what we have is uh, Juan took that as a quote from his his guy, and it, this isn't something where like somebody you don't know said, "Hey, I heard this." Like mm-hmm. I said, this is this is coming from the same source that said that he was going to that Bryce Drew was going to be fired. Is the source that said, "Yeah, I thought the the done deal was was uh, was kind of strong." But like I said, it's coming from the same source that uh, that, that that let us that well, at least let Juan know that that Bryce Drew was going to be fired. Right. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen because I, yeah, I know a lot of other outlets are, are kind of or not not so much running with the done deal. But they're right. letting everybody know that that's what we've said, right? But that I mean that can mean like a gazillion different things. Like for example, you know, it could it could mean that his agent has has like an emo, a, a memorandum of understanding written up, and from from Vanderbilt, for example, and then he's running it by someone, right? So, it, it, but we don't know exactly what that. I mean, that could mean like a number of other things. I think that fans, as a, as a large part, think that when they when they see the term, basically when they see the term like almost a done deal, they're like, "Oh my god!" They just have to iron out a couple of a couple of language things, and then all he has to do is sign on the dotted line, and it's over. But I mean, like we said, that could be that could be a number of things, and and like you said, you know, there were a bunch of places that weren't quite as forceful on that but um uh, or eric did you guys have anything else you wanted to add yeah i just i just following up so you know yeah you said we haven't had a whole lot of a whole lot of uh percolating today uh, wednesday uh, a day after uh, you guys broke this broke this report um so just going off of your 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 instincts and what you know about this story uh i'm sure you've been checking in on it i assume today uh do you feel like Maybe uh, that there has become uh, less of a chance that that Dawkins goes to Vanderbilt, or is it still like it's still really, really strong? I mean, what do you get get a sense of a day after the report's been put out? Right, and and like I said, I was wondering if there was going to be any any movement on it today, which there hasn't been. Um, yeah. I think really it's just I'm really waiting on 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 the next move, and like I said, that could be. That could be word from uh, uh, some kind of word, some kind of smoke signal from Vanderbilt. Um, it could be some something from here at UCF that uh, you know, about uh, Dawkins' coaching contract. Because someone brought up uh, uh, another point that well, he signed through 20, uh, you know, 2023, 24, and well, you know, that doesn't really do a whole lot for me because if if you notice, um, uh, uh, Nate Oates. From yeah. Buffalo, who was just who just named to uh, out, uh, head coach Alabama today, two weeks ago he signed an extension at Buffalo. Right. So we all know how, how how much that means. In fact, uh, Juan and I were talking today, and it's something we'll discuss on the show tomorrow. Is that really have we reached a point where, like, 
coaching contracts with a distinct length are obsolete and we don't need them in that, okay, we're going to pay you X amount of dollars to coach. We're going to pay you $2 million to coach per year. Um, and then and the two numbers that you need to hammer out are that and the buyout number. Right. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, when you see, when you, when you start seeing this time after time, you're, you, you sort of get cynical about seeing, you know, news of coaches extending contracts, schools, you know, extending contract when, you know, we have that whole debate about, well, you know, if, uh, if, if a student athlete, if a player wants, wants to move, there's all these restrictions. I mean, go from division one to division one, they have to sit out a year and, and, and uh, we can restrict where they can go. And yet, you know, a coach with a contract that's longer than four years yeah. can just you know, pick up if, if, if the school, you know, has, has the cash flow to be able to, 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 to buy that out. I mean, it's almost turning into, uh, in, into uh, European soccer where, you know, you have players have a transfer fee to be bought and sold from one team to another. And I mean, it's turning into that in, in, uh, in coaching, but I, um, I think really it, we're just now in, in a waiting game as far as just getting some sort of smoke signal, either from Vanderbilt uh, or UCF. With all the things I just told you, I'm not really sure what I think. So mm-hmm. I think I'm, 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 I'm kind of waiting bated breath for the next piece of information um, or just for, for one of the schools uh, to announce something. I, and uh, I, had one I, last, I, I had one last question. And so, and so, Let's say this happens. Let's say Dawkins goes to Vanderbilt. And this is completely like off the top and kind of a on the spot thing. And you might say, I have no idea. Uh, but because you, ha- you have UCF, uh, I would assume UCF ties and, and, and some sort of lead and sort of sort of a, a route to information there. Do you have at least a, a, a general idea or even a, some some decent guesses as to what type of coaches or any coaches out there that UCF might be interested in? And hiring in replacement of Johnny Dawkins, if you were to go to Vanderbilt. Well, I'll tell you this: Juan has heard, has, he has heard some things. You know, I hear things, Joey. I hear things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, and and um, I mean, that's you know, you know, that's like trying to predict the weather for Easter. At right. this point, we're not putting a whole lot of credence into it, so we don't really want to. Uh, really go into what we've heard. I mean, I've, I can tell you that, that I've, I've heard a couple things, but you know, it's, it's until I, until we get this straightened out as far as does he stay, does he go? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of keep it in mind to where if he does leave, then we, then you take that next step and start looking into that. Um, but it's, it's nothing that uh, we'd really want to, uh, we really want to talk about or discuss it's it's more of just uh uh what's the word speculation mm-hmm. well yeah. we know it's not donnie jones <laughs> not donnie jones <laughs> i'm sorry that was... that's... <laughs> hey, hey, the, the student section can pull out a whole new uh go into a box into a closet and pull out some old t-shirts if that's I the know. case but yeah uh, i know it's yeah. not bad uh, all right uh, well, well go i'm ahead, curious Eric. i want to ask one question here um from Basically, the tone. I'm curious from the sources that you guys are talking to. Is the is the tone a Coach Dawkins is interested in the Vanderbilt job, or is it more of Vanderbilt's interested in him? And if and if the if Dawkins is interested, is there any idea what interests him about Vanderbilt? Well, 
obviously we haven't talked to Coach Dawkins about any Oh, of no, it. no, I'm just saying from the short, like, the tone to me, now if you ask Juan, it might be different, but the tone to me is that uh, it's, it's more, and like I went into it before on how a, um, a school tells you that they're interested in you, which would lead me, lead me to believe that it, it's, it's coming more from Vanderbilt. Um, like I said, we know the SEC money is there. Um, you know, if, if Johnny Donkin's mission is to go chase the money, well, it makes perfectly good sense. Um, I don't know what, you know, uh, what would be a reasonable counteroffer here for UCF if it is about the money. But like I said, having not talked to Johnny, um, Donnie, oh, Jesus, Johnny Dawkins about, at, uh, yeah, it's the whole JDDJ kind of in, in, initial thing kind of mm-hmm. throwing me off. Um, that it would sound to me that that, that uh, there would be Vanderbilt interested. In, I mean, like I said, they're coming off of the school's first ever win in the tournament. They're coming off of probably the the program's most gut wrenching loss ever. Um, you know, like I said, everything is sort of uh, the wounds are fresh. So you know it. It, you know, if 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 Coach Dawkins was and like I said, this this is just this is not this is not based on any fact. This is my gut, uh, my gut feeling, which I think is Eric was always asking me about. Is that you know if if he can focus on this other job while dealing with the aftermath of the tournament and playing the two games in three days and and the the loss to Duke, then more power to him. Uh, but to me, like I said, I think it's. I think this this is coming from Vanderbilt. It's coming from an SEC school with a new AD who is hungry for basketball. Excuse me, uh, basketball success right now when the team came off a winless year in the SEC. Yeah. All right. Um, I think I'm pretty good right now. I, you pretty much answered all the questions insofar as that she could to us. I mean, I know that it's. It's a fluid story. Who knows? By the time this gets up, it may all be changing anyway. We don't know. But um, Ken Jackson from the uh, from uh, CSR Orlando Community Sports Report Orlando. Ken, give the fans uh, a notice on uh, how they can get in touch with you um, if they have it and uh, where they can send any hate mail. <laughs> um, that, yeah. <laughs> let me see. Let me, let me look up where my ex is living now. Um, now, uh, <laughs> Uh, no, well, like I said, we're we're a community sports report. We're on every Thursday from four to five on WPRK ninety one point five. It's the uh, uh, Rollins College uh, College Station. Uh, Twitter, it's at uh, CSR Orlando. Uh, we've got we've got the community sports report Facebook page. Uh, like I said, my uh, you know if, if if you're mad at me, if you want to shoot the messenger. Um, I'm on, uh, I'm on Twitter at foul balls with a pH. And, uh, like I said, we're going to be talking about this Thursday on the, on the show. Um, I don't know when you guys are running this, but, uh, first so thing Thursday morning, it'll be up. So, okay. Okay. Um, so, all right. Uh, uh, take two. And so we'll, yeah, we'll be talking about this on the show on, on Thursday at four o'clock. So, uh, um, if you want to want to hear some more or if, uh, if more, sort of uh, percolates between now and then. I'm sure that's uh, this, this is what we're going to lead with on Thursday. All right. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on it. We'll be keeping an ear on it uh, as well. Ken Jackson joining us. Thanks again, Ken. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me.
All right, thanks to Ken for his uh, insight on that. Uh, well, what do we think, boys? Yeah, I mean, it just it just kind of feels like I know I know what I know uh, out of that yeah. interview. Um, you know, I understand that that Ken's got to be careful with his sources and everything, but uh, it still feels like uh, we are kind of where we are, where we were uh, Tuesday and today, which. As he said there, there hasn't been a whole lot going on Wednesday. Maybe that's good for UCF. Maybe that means that uh, he, that Dawkins is closer to staying. But really, uh, it feels like what we what we don't know, we still don't know. What we, we do know, we, we, we already knew. So um, that's what I feel like. Ela? Welcome to college basketball offseason gossip. <laughs> that's what, what I think. Uh, look, I mean, every I could tell you this. People talk all the time in this industry. That's in, in every industry. This is how this works. So the fact that Johnny Vanderbilt's interested in Johnny Dawkins, do I believe in that? Yeah, I do. Uh, beyond that, I don't know. It could go either way. Like every time uh, this situation, uh, you know, two days ago, a lot of people assumed that Steve Prome, the Iowa State head coach, was on his way to Alabama, his alma mater, when Avery Johnson got fired. In fact, they asked Steve Prohm after he got, just got eliminated by Ohio State in the NCAA tournament about, hey, what do you think about the Alabama job? And later did we find out he just he got an extension to Iowa State, and Nate Oates is the Buffalo head coach who just got is now the new head coach at Alabama. So you never know. People could jump to conclusions all they want, and people will be told what they want. I mean, I cover softball, right? So, in the summer, in Oklahoma City, the biggest gossip was, hey, the Florida head coach, Tim Wall, is going to be the next Texas head coach. He's talked to them. He's this and that. He's going to get paid this or that. And what ended up happening was that Tim Walton got an extension at Florida for a 10-year deal. So, sometimes <laughs> people want those things to come out for a reason. And whether it's because Coach Dawkins is whether he's interested in this job, is this a leverage pull by his agent, is this just Vandy people hoping they can get Coach Dawkins, who knows. But I think, you know, as we tend to do in social media, we tend to overreact and jump to conclusions, and I like to wait to see what actually happens. It's a, con it's a, it's a crazy concept, I know. Heaven forbid we actually wait to <laughs> see what happens. And, and, and you know, I, I mean, that's fine. I, I, I mean, I get it. I, I do think a lot of fans, a lot of UCF fans in particular, were spooked by, and, and Ken kind of touched upon this, but about the language of like, quote, close to a done deal, because that yeah. feels like, oh my God, tomorrow morning, we're gonna, we're not gonna have a head coach anymore. Uh, the, the bus just pulled in from Columbia. What, what's going on here? Um, yeah, I mean, we've seen this before with like leverage plays. And, and, and by the way, if that's, what ends up happening, I wouldn't blame Johnny Dawkins one bit. No, um, I don't blame I, the agent. I, By the way, if you, yeah. that, that's the agent's job. Like the right. agent's job is to create leverage. The agent's job, he could talk to the agent, could talk to whoever they want, even you know, for their client, even right. in, in all sorts of of, of work. And that's, that's how you job get that plausible deniability, like where Johnny said, exactly. well, "No one's talked to me." Well, of course, no one's talked to you, but someone's talked. Someone's probably called up his agent and said, "Hey, what, do you, what does Johnny think about going to X place?" Um, here's the, here, if, if we were going to do this here would be an offer. Like that's how it works. You know, um, a, a couple things. I do think that, um, that, well, first of all, that it, there's probably, there probably is uh, the, the fact that we didn't hear anything on Wednesday probably bodes well for UCF because this thing would have moved pretty quickly. 
I suppose, um, if, uh, if, if things were going. And, and, of course, Jeff Goodman actually did say on Wednesday morning that you know, UCF is, is, is trying to put together something to try and keep him in town. Um, you know, which, by the way, Goodman by way which, in, in fair, yeah. fairness to Danny White, he's done this with every coach. Yeah. They've had a successful year. They're usually rewarded. And right. but, but this so it's is not like, it's not like this is like, oh my god, we gotta come up with something now, you know. But yeah. But this is this is what I think, and I, and I'm I wanna know what you guys think about this before I go to break. Um this to me seems like Danny White's biggest acid test. And I'll tell you why. We've been through this with football, right? With Scott Frost, but Scott Frost whether we whether we like it or not, it was I thought it was pretty obvious that he was gonna go to Nebraska at some point, right? Because it's his alma mater, he's from Nebraska, he's a Nebraska boy, you know, all that kind of stuff. This seems like, and I know it's AAC to SEC, but in terms of the prestige of the job, yes, it's a bump, but this this isn't Johnny Dawkins going to Duke, right? So this to, this to me is a real acid test for Danny White about, how serious is UCF, the athletic department, and most importantly, the donors for UCF basketball? How serious are they about um, about UCF basketball being a national competitor? Because Greg Marshall's sitting out there at Wichita State making you know three, three and a half million dollars a year. And I know that he got that in the wake of going to the Final Four, but still, like that's the benchmark. And if I'm Johnny Dawkins' agent, I'm saying, hey, you know, all right, Wichita State, that's fine and dandy, but he's he's in he's in the NIT this year making three point five million dollars. What are you gonna do for my guy who just got your got you your first NCAA tournament win and came within a millimeter of beating Duke, um, the the number one team in the country with three NBA players on their roster. So um I, I don't know. What do you think about this in terms of the Danny White perspective and also the donors perspective? I mean, well, can I, I just want I don't I mean to that end, I'm not really sure. That's a big picture question that I'm not really sure on. I will say, like, if we're judging what Dawkins is going to get off of Greg Marshall's three million a year, it wasn't like Greg Marshall had like one good year and then like he earned that money. Like they made a Final Four. Sure. They had an undefeated. They had an undefeated regular season. Uh, they made I think like seven straight tournaments. This is like he he earned that three million over the course of so many years. So let's not put that as the benchmark. That is. That is the high watermark for the league, and it should be. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, well, be, just so. to make sure, clarify, I'm not, I'm not, but I, but what I'm saying is, if I was his agent, I would say that. Well, by, well, by the and, way, Wichita State is generally a basketball school. There is no football there, so that I, right. I think the I think the if I'm Johnny Dawkins' agent, I think the the more accurate, maybe or more realistic, is I just took my Johnny Dawkins just took this program to the NCAA tournament for the first time in 14 years. I've been to the postseason in two of his three years there. Meanwhile, you got a Penny Hardaway who just showed up in Memphis. He's making 1.6. Mm-hmm. Can we get a little? Can we get up to that number at least? Right. right. I mean, I think that makes sense. Thing, right? Don't you think? I think that's really where this is kind of what's about here. Is can I get yeah. a little more respect in that regard? Maybe even to two million. Who knows? Mick Cronin's at 2.2. Um, Kelvin Sampson's at 1.6, and he's the leading candidate at Arkansas, who, by the way, has the uh, former Houston athletic director that hired Kelvin Sampson. Now, I actually know what's going on in the Kelvin Sampson thing, and there's a holdup in the Houston deal, and that is not about money. It's about the fact that, from what my sources in Houston have told me, Kelvin Sampson wants his kid 
to be the next head coach at Houston. And Houston has not signed off on that. So is Calvin Sampson going, because of that, going to go to Arkansas? Or is Houston going to cave? Who knows? But there's always a lot of stuff. And people always focus on the salary. But they forget there's the salaries of the assistants. Are they taking care of? It's not just about the head coach. It's about the assistants. And what do I have around me in the program that will allow me to be successful? Or am I limited? So I think there's a lot of variables sometimes. We always get caught up in the salary and, oh, is this what you want a salary bump? And I think there is some truth to that. But it's not just the head coach. It's what about the assistants? What about, you know, budgets? I think there's (laughs) always a lot of things in play. Yeah, that's true. I think I think Johnny's budget for uh, assistance is five hundred and fifty thousand dollars, based on the the last uh, MOU of his contract that I saw. So, I know there's a lot of moving parts. I will defend Vanderbilt because you're like it is a step up. It's an SEC job. It's a program that's been to the NCAA tournament fifteen times. Uh, I would argue their basketball program is actually more popular than their football program. They draw about ten thousand. I mean. Did people scoff when Rick Barnes went to Tennessee? Oh, well, that's not like what is, and now you look what he's done with Tennessee. And that's clearly what I think Vanderbilt's trying to do. They're trying to get a big name coach there to turn around the program and try to see if they can do what Rick Barnes did at Tennessee. It's a copycat world. So whether it's Johnny Dawkins, John Thompson the third, or whoever, uh, right. I do know the new AD at Vanderbilt has ties to the state of North Carolina, and I'm sure that part of this is he's trying to get some, hey, you know, that Duke program's pretty successful and their academics are pretty high, just like it is here at Vanderbilt. That might be the standard we should try to shoot for. And so how do we do that? We get somebody that has been to that program. I think that's right. also probably the thinking process. Last word, Murph. Uh, boy, can you imagine? I mean, let's be, let's be the doomsday sayer here and say that Johnny oh. Dawkins leaves UCF for uh for Vanderbilt you would have a team next year that would not have BJ Taylor Taco Fall Chad Brown probably shouldn't have Aubrey Dawkins either because he should go to the pros after that game against Duke and it wouldn't have its head coach either and coming back for next season I mean it would be quite a quite a rebuild basically from the foundation up talk about talk about hitting the reset button big time um yeah I mean it's well I mean we don't know. It's uh, that's that's the thing. I know this is a very unsatisfying answer for those of you who are listening, but you know, like I said, we don't know. We. But by are... the way, I, I think I think the, I mean, the reality is this. I mean, we're, at some point, everybody has to real. You know, all parties have to say, okay, is this UCF a big player? Is a basketball program, or was this as good as it gets? Is right. there a limit? Mm-hmm. Is there a cap? And I don't know the only. People involved might maybe have their own conclusions on that. I don't know what that is, but I think that's also a factor. Like, can you can this team program be a big time top twenty five program on a consistent basis? Can it be a elite eight? Can it be a final four? Or uh, is it a program that every other year has to be an NCAA tournament? Is it a is, is this as good as it gets? Who knows? Right. That could also play a role in this because a lot of times that's why uh, a lot of this speculation and movement, if you will, or thought of movement may occur. It's, it's certainly it's certainly going to be, I think, the and we'll talk about this, you know, well into the fall. This year is certainly the best it's going to be for at least a few years. This this program, just but just in the way of of the pieces they're losing, is is due to take a step back, uh, at yeah. least, especially with 
Memphis getting James Wiseman and is going to be really good next year. Houston, Cincinnati remaining good. Wichita State getting better because all they have is a bunch of young kids who are in the NIT Final Four. USF's getting better too. UConn will get better because that program will not stay down for forever. So I think you you know for a while this is the best UCF can do at least for a few years. Right. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, this is if this was the best that they could do this past year. Um, I'll tell you what a a moment that they nearly had on Sunday. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about um, UCF and the uh, and the game against uh, against Duke and just what we thought about the whole weekend. Not to mention the game against VCU as well. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banner Podcast is back after this. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, Eric Lopez with you. Blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret, Facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. All right. The greatest, most agonizing, most thrilling, most gut-wrenching weekend in the history of UCF basketball this past weekend in the, uh, in the first and second rounds in Columbia, South Carolina. UCF gets its first ever win in the NCAA tournament uh, on Friday night against uh, Virginia Commonwealth uh, in a game where, boy, did they look really impressive. Uh, and before a very good national audience um, with uh, with Jim Nance and Bill Raftery and Grant Hill and the whole crew um, looked very impressive in getting the victory over, uh, over a very good VCU team. That was the, that was the regular season champ of the Atlantic 10, which is no slouch of a league. 73-58 was the final. And that set up um, the, well, the, 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 the showdown to end all showdowns if you're a UCF fan against number one Duke. Uh, I say number one, not only just because it was their seat, but that was also their national ranking. Um, uh, on national television, on CBS at 5.15, prime time. And boy, did UCF just live up to it, it, it and play what I thought was their best game of the entire season, um, only for it to come up so close, yet so far. And uh, actually, we're gonna play. We're gonna play the um, the final moments, as though you want to hear it again. Of uh, <laughs> what are you doing? Of, yeah, what are you doing? Jeez. Like, wait, wait, are you still getting over this. What are you torturing us here? What are we? we... Hey. Well, I thought it was a great call by uh, by by your boy Jim Nance here, Eric Lopez. Let's go ahead and listen. But it, to it doesn't mean I have to like it. Well, here it goes. Here we go. Inbound out to Taylor. Jones is on him. Taylor driving. Driving in. Banks it up. No. Put back. In and out. And Duke survives just barely. Still unbelievable um, to this point. That was point. Jeff. Sorry about that. I'm sorry. Well, on behalf of Murph, uh, we did not. Well, we were not even consulted on that. Play well, that again. That really... Boy, the black and gold, the black and gold banneret, the UCF podcast that'll stab you right in your chest when you least expect it. Oh, give, you know, give me a break, man! How many views does that Johnny Dawkins video after in the locker room after? It's something like two million views. Um, the uh, the relevant numbers from this game: Aubrey Dawkins with the game of his life, twelve of 18, 32 points, uh, four assists, three steals, five of seven from three point range. He was Utterly sublime in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it played as well on that stage as any UCF player ever has. I've seen some games from Jermaine Taylor that were really amazing. Um, 
I'm having a hard time evaluating whether or not <laughs> evaluating some of them on uh, against Aubrey. Um, Aubrey's on that stage, I think, is probably what takes the takes the cake. Taco Fall was a tremendous factor. Seven and ten from the field, uh, fifteen points, um, six rebounds, but fouled out uh, on the final Duke possession. Um, uh, BJ Taylor was only two of 10 from the field, but nine of 10 at the line, 15 points, three assists. Um, UCF shot 52% from the field in the second half and they held Duke to 35%. Murph, that second half was, uh, I mean, what can you say? It was a masterpiece by Johnny Dawkins of completely confusing Duke's, um, young players. It was, what can you say about this group of guys that, you know, we talked about, you know, the seniors that are all leaving and I know Aubrey Dawkins is a Richard junior, but now there's speculation that, you know, you go out on top, right? I mean, how, yes. how much more are you going to improve your stock from that 32 points yeah. against Duke and Zion Williamson, but you were there in Columbia, you witnessed it. Um, I don't know. Just get, give me your, uh, give me your, I don't know what, I don't even really know what to ask. Like, give me your impressions. <laughs> Great setup. Of how, uh, of how this, of, of your thoughts, Murph, you like get paid, coming Murph, off of you get, Yeah, Murph, you get paid for a living to put it into words. So he wants yeah. you to put it into words. There you go. So me being the host, <laughs> I will let you talk. Go ahead. Uh, I think my lead, if you want me to put it into words, I think my lead was one point and two centimeters, which is kind of close to your lead, Jeffrey. We didn't we didn't talk about this at all, but we the the last the the, the final of the game is really like one point, but even less so. It's really a basketball physics that does in UCF. Yeah. Um. It, it was an amazing game. Like going into the game, you have expectations for what it's going to be. And uh, we're all talking about, you know, is the 13 and a half point spread good or bad? And I, you know, is it going to be below, above that, below that? And then, you know, UCF comes out and plays really hard in that first 10 minutes. And then you see that you Duke started to start to press uh, with their defense more. They force some turnovers and then they get out and run. And you know, when they get out and run with Zion and RJ Barrett and Trey Jones, they're unstoppable. And sure enough, they take this eight-point lead in the half and actually uh, into halftime. And you're like, well, okay, Duke's kind of, uh, you know, putting more authority into this game. They're kind of asserting themselves, kind of like they did against North Dakota State two days prior in a game where North Dakota, North Dakota State was very competitive with Duke uh, for most of that first half before Duke kind of took over uh, and, and then really ran them out of the building in the second half. I thought that's what would happen in the second half. But UCF comes out right out of the gates, goes seven and runs out a seven oh run right out of the start of the second half. And there are points in that second half. If you rewatch the game, which I have front to back at least three times uh, so far um, at the 13 minute mark, uh, UCF makes a basket. Duke had just made another run to stretch it back out to eight. And UCF makes another run to get it back within one. I think it was on Dayon Griffin's three pointer. And, and you could feel in the building the sense that, oh, my, this is not just. Uh, a team that's that's playing tough and hanging around. This they could really beat Duke, and the building kind of gets on UCF side because everybody wants Duke to lose. There are a ton of Virginia fans in that building. They're mm-hmm. obviously rooting against Duke, and then it just becomes a prize fight. The last five minutes are prize fight minutes of just like big plays and defense and crucial calls and guys fighting through contact for baskets. Um, I legitimately, the last two minutes, I was trying to like obviously tweet out what was going on. I, and I wrote uh, in parentheses, I can't type because I, I was shaking. I was so, I was so nervous. I was shaking. It was really I hard. That. 
<laughs> and uh and that's really what it was like it was so hard for me to write a story because i was literally like i was like just spasming uh and then so it comes down to the final play and i think at the end of it all i wasn't upset uh i, I wasn't i was frustrated and, and i certainly am sad for the players but i was completely numb i i, I felt like I, I just couldn't understand what had just happened from front to back of like UCF went that hard with the best team in the nation, the prohibitive favorite to win the national title, and they played arguably better. Coach K said that Aubrey Dawkins was the best player on the floor, and Coach K coaches two of the top five picks in the NBA draft. Yes. Uh, and he says Aubrey Dawkins is the best player on the floor that day, and they lose by literally the slimmest of margins on the scoreboard and in physics. Uh, and it just, it, it's a bit, it's it really, the game is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece of sports. I know it really would bother UCF fans to watch it because they know the ending, but the entire, if you want to look at it as a movie, the entire movie is so much better than its last eight seconds. Uh, it is a fantastic game from front to back. I think my best, my favorite moment of that game is I think it's at the under four timeout of the second half. BJ had just hit a three to put up 70 to 68. And that's how they went to the under four timeout. Actually, that's how that, then Coach K actually called timeout after that three-pointer by BJ. And they go to timeout, and the fans are going nuts. The Virginia fans are chanting UCF. I know that because mm-hmm. I saw it. They were right next, they're right next to me. And they go to break, and the, the arena's up for grabs. UCF's up by two. They force Duke into a timeout. And BJ's reaction to that three was just so strong. And I think that was my favorite moment of the game. I will never forget that. Uh, I know it ended badly, but I'm just wowed by the, the whole event was, uh, I would say, the, the most entertaining UCF sporting event I've ever gotten to cover in my two-plus years back. And if they had won, arguably, you know, it would be up there with the, with the Peach Bowl win against Auburn. But even as such, even with the loss, it, it's, it's certainly maybe the most entertaining game I've ever, I've ever covered for UCF. Couple real quick thoughts. Um, first of all, Eric Lopez, our boy Mike O'Donnell nailed it, didn't he? I mean, he, yeah, no, he, he nailed exactly yeah. how the plot of this game would go, and we'll get to that in a second. But um, my thought on it was this game would have meant so much more to UCF to win than it did to Duke. Um, kind of, kind of like uh, I, I know this is a going way back, but the '76 NBA Finals when the Phoenix Suns played the Boston Celtics, and I think it was game. Five. It was the Garfield Hurd game, the game that went triple overtime. Still mm-hmm. to this day considered one of the greatest uh, NBA games of all time. The Celtics did eventually win that game and the series. Um, but I thought about a quote from um, uh, Dick Van Arsdale, who played for the Suns for a long time and was on that team. And he said, "And he said, you know, this game would have meant it didn't nearly mean as much to the Boston Celtics as it would have meant to the Phoenix Suns. And I think that's true of this. It didn't mean nearly as much to Duke as it would have meant to UCF. And, and the last point before I go to you, Eric was, um, you know, for me, like the, the critical sequence was after that under four timeout where, okay, Williamson makes a layup to tie it. Aubrey hits a J to go up two. um, and then, uh, and then Williamson is called for. I think it was a charge. Um, a block Aubrey, on Taco. Or, oh, or that. Block. Oh, yeah. The, the, the charge on on charge on Zion against, right. against Aubrey. Right. Then, yeah. Yeah. And then the next trip down the floor, Taco Fall gets the dunk off an offensive rebound, and UCF's up seventy four seventy. 
Trey Jones misses the three, and then you were going under two minutes, and uh, and there was that ill-fated alley-oop, which I do not blame on Aubrey Dawkins whatsoever. You dump no. the ball whenever you can. It was just a bad break. And, yeah. and I keep going back thinking, and then the next possession, literally a seven seconds later, um, uh, Cam Reddish hits a three that made it a one-point game again. But I, my thought going back on that was, man, again, millimeters, right? Aubrey mm-hmm. puts down that dunk, which he's put down a gazillion times. And he you did earlier in the game. Right. Yeah, he and, finished out early in the game. Right. And, it's, and mm-hmm. then it's 76-70 with two minutes to go. Mm-hmm. And at that point, if you're UCF, it's like, geez, just hold serve, make your free throws, because now exactly. Coach K's got to take a burn. I think it would have been his last timeout, and you're up two possessions. You get one stop, and the game's practically over. Um, right, with as the, pace it was, the pace that UCF plays at, correct. Yeah. As, uh, as it was, it was 74-73. Um, Taylor made his two free throws to go up 73-76. Um, the Williamson bucket on the and one, and then the putback by RJ Barrett with Taco Fall out of the game because of the. I, I mean, just and we and we can talk about the officiating, but I don't want to because I think that would take forever. I mean, they're just in the last two minutes. I don't care if it's Duke or UMBC; they're well, not going to they're not going to call things no. in the last few minutes of that game. Although, although Mark Daniels brought up an interesting point. He said he said he heard. Aubrey Dawkins, and I think it was Chad Brown, look at the officials and say, right before that free throw, watch the hook and hold, and then watch the push from the back. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened, and R.J. Barrett gets the put back in what ended up being the um, winning margin. But um, but I'll throw it over to you, Eric. I've talked enough. <laughs> well, it's funny that everybody – it's funny. Fans have talked about the officiating the last two minutes, and there's actually a sequence earlier in the game that nobody – everybody missed. Uh, that I'm going to bring up because I want to ask Murph because he was there about it. Yep. And I want to ask you, Jeff, because you watched it like I did. And I didn't I didn't even realize it live, but Mark Daniels brought this up on Wednesday. And I looked, went back to look at it, and I'm like, he was right. So I want to bring that up later. Uh, so remind me of that. But okay. as okay. far as – I, I, I don't know if people have realized this. I mean, this is an interesting sequence. But the game was iconic. It's an iconic game. Mm-hmm. It is arguably the greatest second round game that's ever been played. It's a game that's well, a- I don't know how many seconds. Well, you let me know. Let me know. Let give me the it's, list. There's a little bit of recency bias there. Let's be one real. One that one that the only one that pops off my head. The only one at the moment pops off is, is Northern Iowa beating Kansas in that, 2006. Well, was that a great? Was that a great game or a great yes. comeback? That was, was more great, of a collapse game. Deal. Right, it was more of a collapse. Game. Right, like this, that was not a forty-minute classic. Now, if you wanted mm-hmm. to say Wichita State against Kentucky in that second round, that was a pretty darn mm-hmm. good game. You know, that was pretty good. Yeah, boy, this was the most watched second-round game under the new TV platform uh, that was created on the new TV deal in 2011. This had over 12.88 million viewers. That's the official number. It's the most watched national UCF sporting event ever. More people watched this game nationally than they did. The Fiesta Bowl in 2014, which had 11 million people. To put it in perspective, um, you know, the, the Peach Bowl that Murph mentioned only had about 8 million. Uh, this was significant. Locally, it did a 12 local rating, which is a monster number. That's right up there with the bowl games. It's the fourth most watched UCF sporting event locally. And I was told, as a matter of fact, this is a jaw-dropping stat for you. Locally, locally, one out of every five homes, basically, 
watch the last uh, four minutes of that basketball game wow. in Central Florida. Mm. That tells how really that's, a, that's a monster number. Uh, that's iconic, and it's an iconic game that will grow for two in, for two possible reasons. Number one, if Duke goes on to win the national title, people are going to look back at this game as a turning point in that run. Number two, you're talking about guys like Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, per se. We'll just keep it at those two, maybe even Reddish. If they have successful NBA careers, especially Williamson, this game mm-hmm. is going to be even going to a different level because this game, you had Zion Williamson versus Taco Fall, which from a national standpoint, people are just obsessed about. Like, mm-hmm. the biggest winner, individual winner of the weekend was Taco Fall. Like, CBS. Oh, yeah. Fall, yeah. Bill Raftery wouldn't stop talking about Taco. Well, oh, not to mention not to mention the fact that he played an incredible game. That was the best game I think I, of all the games that I've seen him play. You know, overall he was very active. He was very he was active. Excellent. He he played as that was the Taco Fall that we were promised, right? But I tell you what, on the broadcast, the Taco food puns got oh. real tired real quick. <laughs> Holy moly. They, they must have run out like five of them within the first four minutes. But they lo- and I think it's too. He, he was so they just presented him as this lovable guy and this seven foot six <laughs> mythical guy that I think you can make the argument he's now one of the more nationally recognized UCF athletes. Just oh yeah, him, on- him and him and Aubrey Dawkins in the span of one afternoon. That's well, and, and, and all, I mean, so you have that storyline: Zion versus Taco. You have the Coach K versus Dawkins storyline, which is phenomenal in itself. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you got Johnny Dawkins' kid, Aubrey Dawkins, who probably you know who knows how many times he practiced at Duke there when Johnny was the assistant, and he's having the game of his life, and almost knocks out Duke. Can I mean, if that ball goes in. I mean, you, uh, I, I told Murph this after the game late Sunday night because Murph and I talked for a ridiculous amount of an hour, two hours, and a wee hour. <laughs> what, um, like, it, I don't. It, I get to talk to you, Murph at you, wee hours in the morning. Anyway, if you, if you, well, you know, you just gotta you gotta know the right you know the right time. Um, <laughs> the time if, right. You put, if you put this this game, if you put this game as a script, the Hollywood as a sports movie, it would have gotten rejected. Nobody would have right. believed it. It's and, too corny. And, it's too corny, correct? And, you know, I wrote about this on Black and Go Banneret about all the national attention for UCF has gotten since then on all the national shows, which nobody's ever talked UCF basketball nationally like they have this week. And I compared it to Rocky, and I think that's kind of the comparison. Rocky was this underdog character who was going up against the flashy Apollo Creed, and nobody gave him a chance, and he, he gave this incredible fight. Uh, in Rocky One, he lost the fight, but nobody cared because he was tremendous and he was excited. And of course, we know the rest of the history. He gets the rematch and he wins. And blah, blah. Excellent analogy, by the way. Of all your analogies, I think that's the best one. Well, it's my I favorite. Like... I mean, I love Rocky. I'm a Rocky fan, except for Rocky Five, where that was terrible. But we we pretend that never happened. Um, but it was a phenomenal game. I agree with Murph. I I would watch that game, except for the last eight seconds. The entire game it was phenomenal because. I thought, like Murph did, when Duke went up eight at the half, I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. This is going to yep. get out of hate. But UCF kept fighting back, and this game had <laughs> everything. You had guys making big plays. You had drama with, you know, did Taco get away with some fouls? You have drama with Zion getting away with some fouls. You got the ref. Mm-hmm. You got, you know, did the ball hit the rim or not? Oh, the ball hit the rim. 
You go like, yeah, they got the they got the rebound and Taco got the dunk. I mean, it's 70 Yeah, but he didn't mention the replay, which the ball probably didn't hit the rim. That's it shouldn't right. have counted. I all about that. It did oh, not. That's well, why, well, that's why to I me, can't. like the ball did did hit the rim barely. It was way um, too close to overturn. But again, right. we're getting into my new show here. But it, it, but there was like there were so many sub stories into every play. Like people want to complain about the refs. Zion gets called for the charge that you brought up, Jeffrey. That's not a charge. He didn't push well, him. Aubrey, Aubrey flopped. Well, what I thought. Well, what I thought about the the officiating was, I I actually on balance thought it was a pretty well officiated game because they did let them play. They were like, "Look, you guys are just going to have to sort this out." Mm-hmm. Um, and well, there's the other one play part I want to bring was, up. I, well, there's the one well, play that I I want to bring up real quick because before you yeah. compliment the refs, because I found this interesting, and I don't know if either one of you caught this. But uh, I give Mark Daniels credit. He brought this up on the bridge on the local radio. He does a weekly segment on the morning of the bridge, for those that don't know, uh, on in Orlando on 740. And he brought this up, and I didn't think about it until I watched it back. And that was the, the moment where uh, Chad Brown – remember when Chad Brown got fouled? Or I think it was under seven-minute mark. And uh-huh. they went to a media timeout. And he goes to the line, and he misses the first free throw. Zion gets the rebound, and they play on. Well right. – if you watched it, and I watched it on TV, Chad got fouled, and he looked up as he was going up for the on the shot. Right. And so Jim Nance said, shot foul. Correct. Even, and then Jim yeah. Nance, even on the broadcast, says, hey, Chad Brown for two shots. And then he right. misses the shot, and, it, and Jim Nance's like, oh, I guess it's a one-and-one. One. Oh, you know, he was very, you know, bewildered. And, and there was that awkward pause, and I know what it is. As somebody who's been a statistician, I guarantee you, he looked at his spotter which is the worst feeling in the world as a spotter because they think you screwed up. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, right. but, but I listened to Mark Daniels, and he thought the same thing because he wrote down in his note, you know, he keeps notes, his broadcasters do. He has his notes that he writes down, oh, that's a two-shot foul. And it's not, but it was a one-shot foul, uh, and nobody knows why because he was, he was going up for the rebound. Uh, for the no, shot. he was going, up for, going up for a dunk. Yeah. Right. And it I was would like a to go back, foul. and I don't know if you guys – well, Perfect. we see it all the time. Did you catch it all, like, live? Did you, did, 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 or did that just kind of pass by everybody? <clears throat> I didn't catch uh, it at all live. I didn't catch it until I, I rewatched the game and, and heard the Nance thing go, Chad Brown for two. Oh, I guess it's one and one. And I go, well, yeah. what do you mean it's one and one? And then, and then I looked at the play again. I'm like, wait, he's going up. Why weren't they giving him two shots? Right. Well, I, I think the other thing I would want to go back. I, now, I haven't watched the game because I just can't handle it. But um, Jeffrey, it's so good. I tell you, Jeffrey. I don't care how I know how it ends. It's painful. Don't watch. Look, it's like watching Game Seven of the 2001 World Series. It's no, don't bring that up. Oh no. no. Okay, now I'm definitely game. not. Now I'm it, definitely not. All you gotta do, all you gotta do, is turn it off after Soriano hits the home run. All you gotta do here is turn it off as Zion's driving to the hole with 14 seconds left. Other than that, I, it's fantastic. I, I, I would. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll take your word for it. I, I would want to go back and look at the Chad Brown play. And see two things. Number one, did the officials signal two shots as he was as they were calling the foul? And number two, as they were giving Chad Brown the the basketball to shoot the free throw, did they signal two shots? Because right, we don't, they right, always apply that. And I don't know if whether or not I, I don't know if whether or not that's available on the telecast. Well, might not be. No, but. no, they didn't bring it up. They didn't show a replay of it. But what's fascinating, because I watched it again when Mark brought it up, because I have it on DVR, because I'm like Murph. I mean, that's, you know, I still have it on DVR. And yeah. it's, it's, it was interesting because one of two things either happened. Either the refs told the players, no, it's a one-shot foul, 
for whatever reason, or one which one is back. Oh, or because Zion jumped in quickly and then everybody followed it, I, or the players fooled the refs. And because they acted quickly, like, oh, that's a one-shot, one-and-one. And the refs might have gotten fooled by that. We don't know the answer to that. Uh, I, from what Mark said, I guess the coaches asked that question to one of the refs, and the ref said, it's not my call. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, that's great. always it what you want to hear. Well, apparently he's not the one that made the call. But that was very interesting that we all missed that. Like, all the fans are complaining about the ones in the two minutes. And I agree with you. I, the two minutes, the refs call it differently, and, I, and they're not going to swallow the whistle for the most part. So yeah. – I didn't have a problem with that, but I always found it interesting that nobody picked up on that, which is, to me, what adds to the flavor of this game. Because all year long, we've been talking about UCF and free throw shooting as a possible issue. And here we have a situation where the free throw is missed and we were due one more free throw that could have made a difference. Who knows? But it's fascinating. This game has so many plots. And then the post game with the emotions with Dawkins and I mean uh, you were there, Murph. Coach Cam was broke down in tears talking about Dawkins and how much he yeah. loved him. He basically did. I mean, he really could not hold it together when talking about Johnny Dawkins and his love for him. This is why Coach K does not schedule his former players and coaches because he doesn't want these emotions. He doesn't want to beat one of his own. Yeah. And uh, that was that. I mean, they were more as much as we saw UCF and the the just the raw emotions after the game in their locker room. They didn't show any of that at the post-game press conference. BJ Taco, Aubrey, and Johnny Dawkins were all very stoic and composed. Really, Mike Krzyzewski was the least composed. He was still really broken up about that game, uh, talking about uh, uh, Johnny and Aubrey. So, uh, really, it's it's just this game is like a movie where you can watch it 30 yep. times and find yes. something new. And the next time it makes it like a better film. Right, you find uh, it, something else you didn't know, like if you watch it again. Like, I didn't know about that play with Chad Brown. I mean, it's yeah. phenomenal. And then, you know, the post-game locker room, I mean, Jeff, you can relate to this. I mean, Johnny holding Aubrey is Aubrey who – and Murph, you know this. You've covered Aubrey. Aubrey doesn't show a lot of emotion usually. No. Uh, no that no. was the He's... most emotional. He yeah. was stoic, and that was the most emotional wow. as he broke down and Johnny grabs him. As a father, Jeff, that had to get you. I mean, oh. I mean you know what really got me? I mean, uh, you know that – I mean, you know about that. But what really got me, you know, when I saw that, the thing on March Madness was – was the the video of Taco Fall um, in the locker room? And here's this seven six, seven foot six mountain of a man, and his and he's burying his ha- his head in his hands, and you can see his his chest vibrate with like he's sobbing, mm-hmm. and that for me was. You know, it was uh, that was hard. That that was when I, I got choked up watching that because to me, it's you know we talk all the time. It, it really strikes me as really you know we talk about these guys as though they're robots a lot of the time. You know, I'm guilty of it as just as much as everybody. And the fact remains that these are these are these are people. You know, these are people who dedicate their lives to this moment and, and the and this moment in this game was the culmination of everything that they worked so hard to do. I mean, Taco Falk coming over from Senegal, four years at UCF, the injuries that he'd faced down. B.J. Taylor, um, you know, coming, for, coming, local kids staying at Boone, struggling through, and then finally, you know, after his injury, finally getting through. Um, Aubrey Dawkins and the, the injuries that he had to fought off getting through. Chad Brown and the hard work that he did trying to get to the point where he is. Um it was just, 
it, it, it what saddened me the most about it was it felt like not that the result was not it wasn't unjust, but it was it it shouldn't have ended for those kids like that, you know, I mean, to come back. It goes yes, cruel. that's the word. Yeah. Thank you, Murph, because that was the word I thought of on Sunday night was the cruelty of yeah. losing like that was just it was just hard to take. And you know what? They're going to those guys are going to move on and have great careers in basketball or maybe something else. Who knows? Um you know, Taco Fall, I'm sure, will, if he doesn't play in the NBA, will play somewhere overseas. Um, B.J. Taylor, I'm sure, will probably have a very good career. We know Aubrey Dawkins is going to start getting a lot of phone calls. Probably made himself a lot of money on Sunday night. Um, but, yeah, the the cruelty of, of losing a game like that in that fashion is just, it's absolutely heartbreaking. As, as an alum, I'm really proud of those guys. As somebody who... Um, who who covered who covered those guys and has followed those guys? You know you have to be really happy for them. And I love last little thought for me. I love the fact that UCF sent out a video today of all the alumni, yes. some fairly recent and some fairly fairly uh, fairly old alumni. Jermaine Taylor, Taylor Young, uh, Mike O'Donnell, kind of a um, kind of a greatest hits um, of guys who uh, played at UCF just. Sending Ben Stout was in it. Uh, just sending messages of encouragement and support um, to the team. That, that to me, I'm like, that's that's what it's all about, right there. Because you know, these guys, they're gonna, it's gonna hurt forever. You know, they're never gonna get over this loss. They never will. But when they get to be older, you know, even to our age, like you know, myself and Eric and Brian, you know, I think, you know, Ben Stout, I think, is our age. Mike O'Donnell, I think, is probably around your age, Murph. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then guys who get older, you know, who are older than that, you know, um, they're going to look back at. They're always going to they're they're going to remember the good times. They're never going to get over that loss, but they're going to remember the good times and um and and the bond that they shared. So um, and even and, and you can talk about and they can talk about this Duke game even as painful as it might be because there is so much good to pull away from it. Yes, it right. really is. It's been right. in so many thing. ways for them. You, I mean, to the point now, because like here's the thing: if they lose by 20, 15 points, nobody's even talking about this game. It's, we yeah. just move on. Yeah. But because it was such a classic, I mean, people generally enjoyed this game. It may go down as the best tournament game of this year. It's going to go mm-hmm. down as one of the best tournament games ever. Now uh, you can't talk about the NCAA tournament history. UCF basketball has a footnote in there, yeah. whereas before that was never the case. There are people. And I knew this. I went to the Magic game. I covered the Magic Sixers game on Monday. And people that don't really don't care about college basketball came up to me and they're like, man, that UCF game, that was unbelievable. Hey, man, I'm sorry. That was, I was rooting for you guys. That was, it was all positive. There are people that now know UCF men's basketball that didn't know that last week. Right. And, and these guys accomplished in a week the first win in the history of the program, which was an incredible feeling in itself, and then pushed a team in Duke that is going to be a legendary team to some extent because of who's on that roster with Williamson and company, if they have the careers that everybody expects. And I think we all agree. I mean, I think Zion Williamson is going to be the next superstar in the NBA. And they took him to the wire on a ball. Like, I'll be honest, like, they ran the play. If you would have told a UCF fan eight seconds to go, you run that play, your two best offensive players actually touch the ball. Yep. I would say seven out of ten times that ball goes in the hoop. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, destiny says no; it's not meant to be, right. and that's 
really the the net to the zero, but that they won. They won. The, the scoreboard says they lost, but in the long run, they won a lot for this program and for this university with that performance, which people will not forget anytime soon. I think you're absolutely right. All right. I want to ask you guys four very quick rapid fire questions before we go to a break, because you do have to go to a break. And it's going to be, it's going to be yes or no. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to be Eric. I'm sorry. Um, All right. Zion Williamson on. uh, Okay. Here we go. Zion Williamson on his last, on on the last play where he got the and one on taco fall debate about whether or not he charged BJ Taylor before he made his move into tacos chest charge or no charge. Brian. The charge. Yes. Eric? No charge. Okay. Duke. Uh, w- oh, wait, no. Okay, Taylor going to the basket on the final play. Was he fouled? Brian? No. Eric? No. Okay. No. Uh, Duke, will they win it all? Eric? Yes. Brian? Yes. All right. Aubrey, does he leave? Brian? A- Absolutely. Eric. <laughs> what? I'm supposed to follow that? Uh, yes. I think he's now draftable now. He's in the second round because of that game. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. My last question, and you can take a little bit more time on this, because I asked this on Twitter after the game, and I, and I got some pretty interesting responses. All right. Because we all know how, heart, how many heartbreaking football losses we've seen for UCF that were springboards eventually to what we've seen in the last few years. So my, my question to you guys is, which UCF football game, football loss, do you think this game was analogous to, if you will? And I'll give you my answer first. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't think there is one. I, I think it was the uh, Texas game that opened Bright House Network Stadium at that time. <sighs> no. Now Spectrum Day. Great opponent, Heisman candidate, and you come so close so close in that game. I was thinking either that one or the 99 Georgia game with the phantom pass interference call. Um, you know, but really, I think my real answer would be like all of them put together. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 now, I don't remember the Georgia game. I was at the Texas game as media. That that game is not is not this game. Uh, it's just not. It's a, that's a regular season game. Uh, that that they were not they were not as close as UCF was to beating Duke. Uh, they just not, it was not the same. It just, it's not, it's really hard to compare. It's really hard to compare this loss to anything that UCF has suffered as an athletics program on a major national stage. So one person brought up the South Carolina game in 2013, the lone game they lost that year. I mean, it's a, yeah, but it's a, it's a regular season game. It's so, it's so much different when it's the tournament and it's against the number one team in the nation. Uh, fair, I'm with fair Murph. Enough. I think I would. I'm with Murph. I think the equation would have been if football was somehow in a uh, playoff game and they lost on a hail mary or or or, or yeah. they tried a hail mary and the guy dropped the ball or something. You know what I mean? Something right. like that. Uh, I will go a step further. I don't think I think it is the worst loss. But I, I me and Murph disagree on this because I brought this up to him. If that ball goes in the rim, it goes in the hole. Mm-hmm. I think it's the greatest win in UCF athletics history in any sport. No doubt. I, 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 I think agree. It's the Peach Bowl. <laughs> I, I, it's, it, it's still the Peach Bowl because the Peach Bowl win and, and what was said by Danny White after the Peach Bowl win starts a conversation that puts UCF as an athletics program on the map. Okay? Not just, but it makes UCF well, a, all of a sudden a brand name. Here, here's the thing. 
nobody, I think if you ask somebody, if you call somebody in Boise, Idaho, they don't even remember the Auburn game. They just remember the claim, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the marketing campaign. Everybody, the person in Boise, Idaho is going to remember this basketball game. And if that ball goes, they're going to remember they beat Duke. That's a good and question. Duke is, gonna... with all, nobody was going to remember anybody that played on that Auburn team. People are going to remember who played right. on this Team. I think when I think, when I think when I think of the Auburn game and I say it's more important, I'm in, so I'm including the post game. Okay, that's fair. Now that's fair. That's from a, a, business that's a team. great that's a great Twitter poll question, and you know what? I'm going to put it up. Oh, geez. Um, from an economical economical standpoint, I think Murph's right. There's a business side from a football, but I believe from a pure sporting event, from a pure on the field on the court, you beat Duke, you go to the Sweet 16. People will remember that in a positive way. Nobody. Right. Was going to said, ne- I mean, because whether you, whether, however you feel about it, there are people that don't like what happened after the Peach Bowl. I'm not, I don't want to get into it, but there are people that still don't like that, and that's kind of the image of the football program. And people still even crack the jokes, whether it's lame or not. That's still a part of the narrative with football. Whereas basketball, there was no negativity, none. Mm-hmm, yeah. Everybody actually said, "Wow, that team is unbelievable." That's the difference. And if they beat Duke, that would have been like. That's the program that knocked off Duke in that year when nobody expected it in the biggest stage. I mean, here's how big it was. Even in a loss, even in a loss, it's probably like among the top ten as far as yeah. like oh. as far as like what this game gets you notoriety and all that. Like it's it's probably one of the biggest achievements in UCF athletics history in a loss. I would say it's it's certainly top five. Certainly top five. I'm also it's weird as it sounds, and I know we got a few months, and other sporting events will take place. We may actually have a situation, and I where the we might actually give the Bannies Award to a game that would where UCF lost. That's yeah, because that was an right. amazing game for what it did for that program was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna go cry in my pillow for a little bit, and when I come <laughs> back, um, we're gonna uh, talk baseball. What would you Mer- say, Jim Nance? Tell us, Jim Nance, what would have been the call? <laughs> Uh, Daniels's head would have exploded, I think. But um, but we will uh, when we get back, we'll talk baseball. Uh, UCF getting the win on Wednesday night. So we oh boy! Follow that up. There's really no way to follow that up. Here we go, uh, North Florida. <laughs> yeah, and we'll, and, we'll, and we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the media deal officially coming out, and uh, plenty more as well. Stick around; the Black and Gold Banner Podcast is back after this. All right, welcome back to the show, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and uh, Brian Murphy here uh, with you. So, how do we follow all that Duke UCF talk? All right, oh, I know, television contract. Real quick, we're going to do go over baseball and softball and everything else in just a bit, but. Um, the uh, American had its teleconference today officially announcing the TV contract with uh, ESPN. Um, there was a, a statement from Danny White. Uh, I'm going to try and find it and read it to you. Okay, here it is. Um, the statement from White. I still haven't found it. Uh, oh, yeah, here we go. All right. As a proud member of the American, this is a big day for UCF. We feel strongly that our nationally competitive programs at UCF throughout the league have proven that there are six power conferences in college athletics. This agreement with ESPN endorses that notion and solidifies the American as a power conference. The story of the American is in lockstep with the story of UCF. We are young, but our competitive advantages in terms of market size, recruiting base, and student alumni population are very real. We're building a top 25 intercollegiate athletics program at UCF, and we are excited about our bright future in the American Athletic Conference. So just to reiterate, the deal does go through 20. It starts in 2021, not this coming year. 
2021-2021 goes through 2031-32. More than 135 conference-controlled games will air annually on ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, and ESPNU. 1,650 events will be telecast throughout the duration of the contract. Financial terms officially were not disclosed. Um, the, uh, also, and they talked about the ESPN plus situation. There's more football on the broadcast and major cable networks. There is, I'm getting mixed signals on the basketball, but you said Eric, Eric, there's going to be more basketball on the big networks, right? Yeah. Mike Oresco said they go from 32 games to 65, uh, guaranteed games. Right. Right. So they're going to be on. I mean, uh, I don't know why people are so like, it was funny because you and I were in the uh, teleconference on this and I love how the old, no, you know, not to call out the print media with all due respect, Murph, but, um, you know, we got these print <laughs> media guys that are, that are asking these questions. Like there was a one guy from UConn. He's like, you know, UConn fans don't know what Netflix is. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> like, do they not know? Or do you not know? Like, or, or, or my thought was, has, has, do they not have Netflix in Connecticut? Right. Like what times are errors are you guys running in? And like, like they're still kind of trying to figure out this ESPN plus, which is not that complicated. It's really simple. The games that used to be on CBS sports network, which by the way, a lot of you in this audience used to complain about. Okay. Because it's hard to find, not at, not at every home. I don't even know if you can stream it online and if you can. Those games are the ones that are more than going to be on ESPN plus. And then you're going to have games like, you know, UCF FAMU or Bethune or whatever. Those games are going to be on ESPN Plus, probably, instead of ESPN 3. Uh, it's not like everybody's acting like, my God, they're going to, you know, like people are asking questions like, well, how many times is Memphis going to be on TV? And they had to explain to them over and over, no team in the league is guaranteed of time slots, which is, by the way, the case. Nobody right. ever knows what channel you're on until usually two weeks before that game. So right. people like, here's like the, it's not the, complicated. Yeah, here's the trick. Don't suck and you'll be on ABC and ESPN. Thank How you. about that? Okay. So Yeah, and by um, the way, like if you're one in ten, you probably weren't gonna watch your team anyway, because no contrary to what the myth is, not everybody's watching ESPN News or CBS Sports Network. Trust me, I've done I used to write for Orlando Sports Daily. Okay. I wrote for Orlando Sports Daily on the year that UCF went winless. They were on ESPN News a lot. And let me tell you, I got those numbers. Nobody was watching. Just throw oh, that out well, there. We, well, we were watching. Um, anyway, a uh, minimum, minimum, minimum of 40 regular season football games on ESPN, ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, including at least 20 across ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, which is an increase. Um a, the AAC Championship will still be on ABC or ESPN. Also, the Navy-controlled games are coming over against Notre Dame, by the way. So that's actually a big draw for uh, ESPN yep. to get Navy and Notre Dame. Um, let's see, men's basketball. Minimum of 65 regular season games on ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU. At least 25 on the two big networks, plus the uh, wall-to-wall tournament coverage of the uh, the conference tournament. Women's minimum of uh, 13 regular season games per season on the three top ESPNs um, with a minimum of five on ESPN, ESPN2. I think that's what the UConn people were really screaming about because they have that special side deal with SNY. Oh, no. Oh. Going by the wayside. Um, by the way, for those that don't know, 
SNY is a TV station up there, uh, up there in that yeah, region. That's, that's the Mets network. It's, it, it's, yeah. yeah. And, and for the record, they carry women's basketball, not men's basketball. They carry women's basketball and then they carry some hockey, whatever. Women's yeah. basketball. That's what they're upset about over there. Uh, Olympic, Olympic sports. So anything that's not football, men's basketball, and women's. This is what you and I are most excited about, Eric. A minimum of five additional Olympic sports telecast per year will air as well, with details to be determined at a later date. But pretty much your Olympic sports that used to be on your um, on your uh, websites like UCFnights.tv and also on our with our friends in the American Digital Network, those are going to be on ESPN Plus um, as well. So that's going to be and that's a lot of events. That's your regular season stuff. Correct. Uh, for baseball, softball, well, soccer, volleyball, you name it. Now, who's going to foot the bill for the production of that? Um, they were kind of vague about. Um, I imagine that the schools, some schools couldn't need to invest more than others. Obviously, UCF has pretty good infrastructure on that end. Um, other schools don't. Some schools charge you to watch those games. Others don't. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, to what extent they'll be – They'll be uh, standardized, like in terms of graphics packages and all that. We just don't know, at least as of just uh, just yet. And and Oresco, actually, that was a question that I asked Oresco, and he actually mentioned um, that the conference hasn't gotten together to put together sort of the standards for those telecasts, um, but they will be at least at some point. I have no reason to doubt them on that. Um, my hope is that those standards will be pretty high, kind of like what the Atlantic Sun Conference actually said. I mean, scoff at the A Sun all you want, but actually they do a very good job of setting the standards for their um, Olympic sports telecast on on the ESPN online platforms. Uh, last word, Eric, before we move on from this. It'll be if you're a Sam Unger, a good friend, or you know that watches a lot of UCF baseball, for example, I'll use that as an example. This year, he has to probably he's probably he's already subscribed probably to UCF Knights TV to watch all the home games. He's got to pay extra to watch them play at Wichita State. It's a subscription deal. Uh, if they played at Houston, it's subscription, et cetera, et cetera. Under this deal, in a couple of years, he can every UCF baseball game will basically be on ESPN Plus for the most part, and then all the other teams in the conference games will be on ESPN Plus. So you don't have to worry about like logging into other school sites and paying them and all that. It's gonna be basically you're paying one site. So I do think. That's a big, big plus for those sports and from an exposure standpoint. Um, and by the way, like the, the Olympic sports fans are usually used to paying, so I don't think they'll be bothered at all by making the adjustment to right. ESPN+. Plus. I think the people that are going to have a hard time on this are probably people that, you know, are you just watching football and they're used to like, hey, I watch ESPN News, but um, they'll get over it. They'll get used to it. <laughs> and yet, like you said, if your team is good, you're not going to have to worry about it. You might get maybe one or two games here and there, on ESPN Plus in football, and then basketball is probably going to be the non-conference schedule in a couple of your conference games. But if you're not very good, then you're going to be on ESPN Plus. Uh, if you don't like it, there's two choices. You can pay for it, or you can just go to the game. There you go. All right. Uh, let's speak of baseball. Radio. Speaking of baseball, let's switch it over to UCF Baseball, Murph. Um <laughs> Because I know you're really excited about all this media he's, talk. He's excited, right, Murph? You're <laughs> glad to be back in in, in in Orlando, right? You 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 don't you know? I mean, where else would you have been? Oh wait, you could have been in. He would have been in Washington D.C., but as it was, I mean, uh, you know, see, there's these things of like, what do you want to do in life? Like at the moment, I could be in D.C. right now, Wednesday night, preparing for uh, Virginia Tech and UCF coming up on Friday. But instead, what I am doing is sitting in the UCF baseball parking lot after the night's <laughs> after the night's shutout North Florida on a drizzly, windy, cold 
freezing. Wednesday night. Wednesday night, relatively speaking, for some five nothing, uh, the victory over North Florida. But this is on the heels of a three game sweep at the hands of number fourteen ECU up in Greenville. Um, well, Murph, you didn't get the chance to go over and check that out, and it's probably for the better. <laughs> I um, did not. I did not go because <laughs> I had to stay and prepare for Duke. Right, right, and, and we all know how that went. But thirteen uh, eight. Seven to four, six to five was the final Friday, Saturday, Sunday, respectively. Not the way you want to start the conference season. They open up the home conference season on Friday against UConn. UConn no rest for the weary because UConn's pretty good too. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but um, Cliff Godwin and his and his fellas just taking care of business on UCF baseball this past weekend. Uh, so the Knights are sixteen and nine, zero oh and three in the American. Uh, all right, Murph, I will ask you. Should I keep the panic button put away, or <laughs> do I take it out of the? Do I take it out of its uh, of the drawer and just leave it leave it on the desk? I think it's it's at least you should keep it within like keep it in your within peripheral vision. It's okay. a, it's within your peripheral vision. Like you you know where it is if you need to go get it. It might be in the other room, but you know where it is. Uh, you know, look, I'll talk to coach more about it on Thursday when I come out and interview him, uh, tomorrow, but uh, I asked him a little bit about the ECU series and really he and the players all kind of said, they've just tried to, to shove it away and, and they're not going to try to remember it. They're kind of trying to shelve it and move on from it, uh, which is fine. I will say there's one pretty big development out of that series, you know, besides the losses was, um, Trevor Holloway. Uh, their Sunday starter, a guy who had you know his best start as a night the week before. Uh, he came out in the first inning of the Sunday game against CCU with some sort of arm discomfort, and oh, you know, boy. so and this is a team that again we've talked about this before. They they are already down a, a handful of arms already in the pen uh, with Zach Helsel and and Ryan Saltonstall and Joe Sheridan, David Litchfield, probably all after the season. Now you're going to lose one of your starters well as well. Well, apparently uh, it's probably best case. It's probably the best news they could have gotten. It sounds like he's not going to pitch this weekend against UConn, uh, in which he's, I don't know right now who will pitch on Sunday for UCF, but it won't be, uh, it will not be Holloway. They do expect him to come back relatively shortly, maybe the week after that, which is uh, on, you know, considering what the range of possibilities could have been and what I had actually heard from from other people, uh, that's, that's quite, that's quite good. And uh, so we'll see. Uh, but, you know, right. Well, I think tonight for Wednesday, shutting out North Florida, Jordan Spicer has had, uh, it, it has been a, it has been a star crossed couple of years for UCF. He comes in with a lot of uh, publicity, a lot of hype uh, as a Juco kind of came in that last year with Jordan Montgomery on this, or excuse me, JJ Montgomery, Jordan being a major league pitcher, JJ Montgomery and, and Jordan Spicer were kind of in the same level of hype. And, uh, and Jordan just uh, really kind of flamed out last year. Uh, just confidence, I think, was shot at certain points, did not throw enough strikes. And that has seemed to carry over into this year. He came into the night with an ERA up near eight. Um, but then tonight, he puts out his probably his best performance in a UCF uniform, goes six innings. Rather economical, I believe it was 84 pitches, uh, two hits, no runs. Uh, really, it probably was his best start. I think he said it was his best start. Lovelady said so, too. So for a team that's really struggling with with pitching injuries, getting Jordan, Jordan Spicer straightened out would be gigantic uh, going forward. And then offensively, 
there's not much you can say right now uh, with the top four of the lineup being Ray Alejo, Tyler Osek, Matthew Micah, and Dallas Beaver. They're all crushing the ball. Osek came in tonight around 400. Uh, uh, Ray Alejo, who had 17 extra, 18 extra base hits all year, has 17 already this season. Um, and then Dallas Bieber hit his sixth home run tonight. That's tops on the team. So those top four really carrying the offense. They need more uh, production out of the bottom of their lineup. The pitching is going to be something to watch. Uh, we've talked about it before. Of, of, are they going to burn out those bullpen arms too too soon because they have to use them to cover more innings that their starters aren't covering? But if if Jordan Spicer can be the guy that he was tonight and he is showing the potential that he can be, uh, that would be a big boost for a team that, that needs some pitching help right now. Connecticut is coming up, and they are 18th in the latest uh, WarrenNolan.com RPI. Um, they're a problem, <laughs> aren't they? At 15, I mean, they come in 15 and 8, um, but they moved up uh, six spots most recently. Um, we know how good UConn is year in and year out. Concerns, aside from what you just mentioned about uh, about this series coming up, what, what does UCF have to do? Uh, well, they have to pitch. <laughs> they have, well, they have yeah. to pitch and hit, score more runs. You know, let me use my Dan Fouts analysis here, Jeffrey. Usually, catch the, the ball. Usually, the team that scores more runs will have a better chance of winning the baseball game. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so UCF, UCF, I think UCF dropped, I believe, in the RPI from I want to say eighteen to thirty-eight. After their weekend sweep, you probably have that. You should have that. Thirty-first, I have. They're thirty-one 31st. as of right now. After yeah, thirty-one. So they dropped from eighteen to thirty-one. Uh, I don't even know if I'm not again. weren't I'm still not sure how good this team is because we've <laughs> seen them. We, we've seen them beat Florida and FSU, and then they get swept by ECU. So uh, again, I think there's more of a litmus test than anything this weekend is not worrying so much about UConn and what and what they are, but. Like, can UCF actually go out here for a full series and take two out of three in conference? I mean, we've seen them have good games against great teams. Uh, but again, but unless you do it for a full weekend, that really is more of a uh, really more of a standard for how good you are as a team. So um, I, I am looking for the bottom of the lineup to do something offensively. Uh, you know, they, they've sort of, you know, Griffin Bernardo is really struggling at third base. I believe he has nine errors already. Brandon Hernandez did not play tonight. He's uh, kind of been a mess uh, through and through, uh, you know, here with, with defense and offense. So you've got Adams Torres, who uh, is at short. He had a, a really good double play tonight that he started, a really nifty web gym type of play. Uh, Dallas Beaver started a third. I, I don't think that's the way they drew it up, but uh, they need something from the bottom of that lineup. And uh, the top four doing are, are getting it done. But, uh, and and then... Uh, they just need something from six through nine. Uh, and then pitching wise, you know, Chris Williams just did not have it against ECU at all. He got just bashed in by the Pirates. Uh, and Grant Sherman, uh, I think, struggled not as much, but, uh, you know, struggled again against ECU. They're going to need, again, it's like the second, it's, like it's like a record on repeat. They're going to need innings out of their starters. So otherwise, they're going to, then they're going to burn their bullpen out. And we'll see who starts Sunday. I, I don't know if it'll be. Uh, like a Jalen Whitehead or a Jackson Clare, or if they're going to go bullpen by committee for Sunday. Um, but it will not be Holloway. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But uh, it's going to be an interesting test against a very good team uh, that has uh, some really top-notch pitching. And, and so 
we will see if UCF gets two out of three, maybe they write the ship and maybe we'll say, okay, well, maybe this team is as good as they showed against FSU in Florida. But if it's another one of those like one and three, woulda, coulda, shoulda Sundays that this team is so used to now, uh, then I really, I just, I think this team is, then we'll think of this team is just stuck in the muck, you know, and there's maybe they're just an average, maybe there's an average team. Let me, well, let me defend them here. Let me defend them here from the Devils from this standpoint. Couldn't you say that they've opened the conference with the two toughest series you could possibly have with the two best teams in the league in East Carolina and Connecticut, uh, and yet they were toe-to-toe. I watched a good chunk of that game. They had chances to win that game. I mean, there was a game, I believe it was the Sunday game, all these days now are all the blur, where they had a chance. They had two runners on in the ninth inning. Uh, Love Lady calls the squeeze play. Yeah, uh, and it didn't. It didn't. They got the the runner was out at home plate. They was trying to tie the game up in the ninth. Didn't work out. Uh, it wasn't like you know they had chances to win. They obviously have flaws, but I mean they're playing the two best teams in the league. I mean that is uh, two teams that could arguably are, are top twenty five teams. Are two teams that could be in position to try to host down the road in a regional. They're that good, I think. Uh, so is it? You know, I know is it too early to kind of you know give them maybe a little slack from that standpoint? I understand it's a critical series. You got to win them. I agree. But uh, I kind of, you know, it, that's a tough slate. Yeah, but it's also a good conference top to bottom. And we know this, Eric. It's mm-hmm. a top It's a top five conference in the nation. It was, I think it was fourth last Fifth, year. Right now. Number, it was fourth uh, last year, number five Fourth last right year now. And, then, and then five right now. Yeah, so, I mean, while they're facing the top teams in the conference now, it's not like they get a bunch of cupcakes from here on out. And, uh, and uh, the pitcher I, I meant to name, and it, it escaped me, was Mason Fioli. Uh, who's a starter for Connecticut, who's really, really good, got a lot of pro prospects. Uh, he's a guy, to, to if you're going to watch this series, to, to watch out for for UConn. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, you're getting some of the, 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 the cream of the crop of this conference, but this, con- this conference isn't like it's got, it's got a lot of walkover opponents. Um, and and, it, and if, if, if you're thinking that, uh, wow, the, the schedule's really bad and we've got a lot of tough opponents, maybe it's because you're not as good as them. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll find out. We'll, well find out. I am, I am really concerned. I'm saying again, I've said this for like two weeks now. I'm really concerned about this team's pitching staff in like a month. What this bullpen's going to look like. And if they, if love lady, you know, if he just has no choice, but to, but to use them and, and, and by, by mid April, they're burnt out. I have no idea. We have lovely Rob tonight about how many games they have left. They do. They have about tw- uh, 30, I believe 31, maybe because of the 25 games in, uh, and they have a ton of games. Uh, so there's a long way to go and that's great. Um, but that means we've got so many more games that they need to cover and innings they need to cover. And I just don't know if they're going to have the arms to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we, they got a whole, they got a wrap. Chris Williams, they got to wrap uh, Kyle Kemp in in bubble wrap right now. I mean, they I mean they really are are really really stretched thin by every week. It seems to go by this over something else. <laughs> Carry him off the field and hand feed him too. Um, it's uh, <laughs> there's uh, by the way they got a game against Stetson coming up to uh, as well. If I'm not mistaken, is that right? That's on Tuesday. Tu- no, on Tuesday in Deland. Tuesday in Deland. So you mean quick I turnaround mean, after Sunday before they have. I to mean, do that ha- I mean, I know maybe I would have been going to Minneapolis, but no, your boy's going to Deland. Let's go. Hey, that means you get to watch the uh, Jacob. Maybe they'll have the Jacob the Grom Cy Young uh, banner up there, like they did with oh. Corey Kluber. <laughs> 
There you go. You think they? You think they updated it? You think they got his? You're his, gonna find his, out. His... You're gonna have to let me know when you get there. Maybe I'll go with you. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. What am I doing? Um, yeah, come on. I up. I know what you're doing, Eric Lopez. You're gonna talk about UCF softball yeah. because uh, as we uh, Aaliyah White third pitcher of the week honor for uh, UCF this week um, as they swept UConn uh, at home. Two nothing, two to one, two to one. No wonder that they that Aliyah got the uh, the award when you're holding UConn to uh, that few runs. They're at ECU, so it's flipped between softball and baseball. They're at ECU uh, Friday, Saturday, um, Sunday. But what do we think about it? And I know UConn's not the strongest uh, opponent in UC in uh, in softball, but you know to get those wins in three close games, I think is obviously a pretty big key. And for Aliyah White to lead the way, business as usual, no. Everything that Murph just rambled about the pitching staff issues at UCF, about they uh, they struggle for innings. We have the com- uh, we don't Not have that problem. problem over there in softball. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, Aaliyah White has been phenomenal. Uh, you mentioned the pitcher of the week. It's the seventh time she's won an American Conference pitcher of the week. That's the fourth most inning in the history of the program. Shelby Turnier has won ten. Mackenzie Ott has won nine pitcher of the weeks. Allison Kimes won eight. That's 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 the Knights. Uh, that's a that's a pretty good company to be in. Uh, around um ucf ranks number seven in the country in era right now with a 1.71 uh they have eaten up a lot of innings uh, so no murph tell greg lovely no our pitchers are not available uh, just so you know um, but <laughs> but no they've been tremendous choir <laughs> now you know the, the interesting thing is uh you're right they're dominant pitching the thing the question will be offensively they didn't score like you know they were down in that bottom of the seventh in the sunday game they were down one nothing they had to make a comeback they got the pinch hit two rbi hit by the freshman Tara testa to win it two to one i think that's the concern it's actually the opposite of what baseball's going on is they're not scoring enough runs or at least will they score enough runs and we're gonna they're gonna get tested at east carolina from that standpoint because east carolina can score uh, and especially in that park over there. So it'll be interesting to see if the bats can get going because the pitching's really good. Aliyah's pitching at a high level. Brianne Vasquez in her American Conference debut gave up one unearned run in the Saturday victory. So look, the American in softball is a top six conference. Uh, to get a sweep on a UConn team that beat you two out of three last year in stores is significant from that standpoint because you can make the argument that UConn beating you two out of three last year cost you a chance to win the conference title and a berth into the NCAA tournament. So that is significant to start out 3-0 and in a tough league. Um, and I think their pitching is really good. I think this is the best the pitching's been uh, since 2016, which was the last time they made the NCAA tournament. The question's going to be, you know, can they get enough offense? And I think that's what we got to see. If we think if for them to win, I think the conference championship, but it's a positive start. It's the third best start, by the way. You look at 23 and nine overall, it's the third best start in program history. Only the 2002 team, which was the inaugural team, and the 2015 team have had better starts after 32 games. So, all and remember, we had you know coaching transition here, and it's gone as smoothly as you could possibly uh, imagine, which is, is a credit to coach uh, and a credit to the players. Uh, for buy, you know, at both sides, all that. Gotcha. All right. Uh, real quick, I want to wrap with tennis. Uh, women's tennis is 17 and two uh, off of uh, their most recent victory over number 34, Illinois, four to one. Uh, this team is just continuing to just rattle stuff off. Uh, they have. Where are we going three... out there? We got to get out there. Well, we got one more opportunity to see the women's team. That's Saturday, April 13th at 3 p.m. because they have two road matches coming up and then uh that 3 p.m against south florida to finish out the season 
Men's tennis, uh, 10 and 9 at the moment. Um, lost to Illinois. Uh, well, that was actually five days ago on Friday, March 22nd. They've got FAU uh, at home on Sunday. And then they've got South Florida in Tampa on Sunday, April 14th. So they got ways to go before they can, uh, uh, or, or uh, before they actually have to go on the road there. And then they finish up with Memphis and the AAC championships, April 18th. So uh, quickly, I know it's been a long show, but we had a lot to get to. Uh, let's wrap this thing up real quick. Eric, what you got coming up this week? Go to uh, blackandgobanneret.com right now. You have all the details on the television numbers for that Duke UCF classic national numbers local numbers also wrote about the national attention of the basketball program got so i want you to check all that out on blackandgoldbanneret.com we're going to actually get back to uh i've got an exclusive black and gold banneret exclusive here ladies and gentlemen we need a drop we need a drop we don't have a drop for that we got a drop here it is nice uh i had an exclusive chat with the legendary cat osterman who is the, one of the greatest softball players, arguably the, the best softball player of all time. I talked to her about Allison Keim, who she played with in the pros, winning a pro championship together in the NPF, about Allison Keim getting inducted into the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. Uh, so that's going to come out in the near future on blackandgobanneret.com probably. And we also have some other figures uh, chiming in on the, uh, the Hall of Fame class, which will be inducted on April 12th. So there, that's some of the content that we got uh, coming up uh, shortly uh, over there. And by the way, a shout out to women's basketball. Great year. No, no, uh, uh, making the tournament. Tough loss to Arizona State, but uh, hopefully brighter days ahead for the program. Just wanted because we forgot to mention them. So I just want to. I can't shout. believe that we actually did that, but I want to go into more detail on them next week's show as well. Because uh, even what though. What happens you when know, you put the women's tournament at the same time as the men? I know, man. Not- but we've been so loaded about this. Uh, Murph, what you got? I, uh, I will be watching Duke UCF again because, again, God, it's fantastic. Out of your it mind. What do you want to so watch, Murph? We could, Murph? we could text each other during the game and, like, just go like it was live. Like, you know, so I'm, I am, I am, yeah, I'm going to kind of do a bit of like a Fire Joe Morgan. For those of you who remember Fire Joe Morgan, <laughs> uh, if you like, you take a, a, like a piece of a game and just kind of give your analysis, you know, at piece by piece uh, following each segment. And there, there are just so many like things you want to point out, and like so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write about the game as I rewatch it again, and just point out things that are just amazing. There's so many amazing things about this game that people should trust themselves that they will like it because it, because let's face it, let's face it. Much like Gordon Hayward missing the half court buzzer beater against Duke in 2010, much like Florida losing to Gonzaga in the Sweet 16 in 1999, you will see the moment of Aubrey Dawkins not making this layup over and over and over for years to come. So you might as well face it now and get through it because it's going to be haunting you forever. Oh, with, that, great. With, that, with that said. Great. Oh, Thanks. <laughs> with that, tonight, I'll with, you, between with, the final flip, I mean, this is great. Yeah, awesome. With that said. Come follow me, and as I relive this once again, I swear to God it'll be fun. You'll enjoy it. I've enjoyed it. It's such a great game. It's not just eight seconds. It's 40 minutes of glory. That's about it. You mean 39 minutes and 52 seconds of glory. As I turn into Bill Walton, it's 40 minutes of glory. There's never been anything better than this. 
All right. Let's get out of here. For uh, Brian and Eric, I'm Jeff. Make sure you follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. Facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopezilo, and Spokes underscore Murphy uh, as we readjust ourselves to the calendar with only baseball, softball, and tennis and some of the other sports kind of picking up the slack here from the spring now that uh, basketball's over and we are all set. But, uh, yeah, well, you guys can go watch that game. I'm going to go to bed. Most uh, for- of us are sad, Jeffrey. Not all of us are sad. Some of us are reveling in the achievements of our fine young men. Uh, well, thank you to uh, thank you to Ken Jackson for joining us um, as well. Uh, make sure you follow him uh, on all the latest for uh, 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 oh, CSR Orlando. CSR Orlando is where you want to follow him. Uh, on Twitter. Thanks again to him and his crew for uh, giving us some insight. And thanks to you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Catch you again.